You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this installment of our RSAC 365 podcast series. We have a great podcast lined up for you today. Reduce the cybersecurity risk for property management systems through secure payment practices. Here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask our guest moderator, Bill Newhouse, to take a moment to introduce himself before we dive into today's topic. Bill? Yeah, thank you so much, and and thanks to everybody taking the time to join us and listen in. Uh, My name is Bill Newhouse, and I'm a senior cybersecurity engineer with the National Institute of Standards and Technology, part of the U.S. Department of Commerce, and I'm the hospitality sector lead at a, a NIST laboratory called the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence. I'm joined today by John Bell, founder of Agent Tech, who brings a wealth of experience in areas like enterprise and security architectures, as well as software design, applied while working in and consulting with the hospitality sector. And by Arshad Noor, founder, CTO, CEO at StrongKey, he's leveraged two decades of key management experience and redirected that energy, his energy, into solving bigger problems like making breaches irrelevant. Both men contributed to a hospitality sector project at the NCCOE, one as a guiding consultant, that's John, and the other as a collaborator with technology installed in our reference design. We built something to demonstrate ways to secure a property management system, and I'm grateful to both of them. John, will you take a moment to introduce yourself a little more? I'm John Bell. I'm uh, the founder and principal consultant for Ajon Tech LLC. Uh, we primarily consult with the hospitality industry in the areas of security architecture and enterprise architecture. We've been doing this for eight years. We just started our eighth year last month. I've been in the IT industry for 40 years and specifically within the hospitality industry for the past 20 years. Thanks. And Arshad, adding to your bio, please. Thank you very much, Bill. My name is Arshad Noor, CTO of StrongKey, and it's a pleasure to be here today on this podcast. Uh, I've been working in the IT industry for 35 years, a little more than 20 of them spent in applied cryptography, uh, helping solve complex problems like the kind NCCOE uh, addresses. Uh, It's been a pleasure working with John and Bill on addressing some of the property management risks that they are trying to solve, and I'm looking forward to talking about these issues on this podcast. Great. Thanks, Arshan. So by way of background, hospitality organizations, hotels in particular, but anybody who has a property, they rely on a property management system for daily tasks, planning, and record-keeping. As the operations hub, this property management system interfaces with several Services and components within a hotel's IT system, such as point-of-sale systems, physical access control systems, the key locks, the door locks, and other guest service applications. A PMS and its extended systems store and process and transmit a variety of sensitive guest information, including payment card information, and personally identifiable information is, is often a part of that. An unsecured or poorly secured property management system could expose a hotel and the larger hospitality organization of which it is a part, to a significant and costly data breach. So 
at the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, we took on the task of building a reference design that focuses on securing that property management system. And it's a publication that is coming out in early April called NIST Special Publication 1827. In it, we describe that it has the following security and privacy characteristics. So we're trying to show you what kind of risk it mitigates, what kind of privacy it can help support for your customers. So amongst these characteristics are preventing unauthorized access via role-based authentication, protect from unauthorized lateral movement and privilege escalation attacks, prevent the theft of credit card and transaction data via using data tokenization. And this um, explicitly allows for only identified entities to access, and we enable access control enforcement within the system. We're increasing situational awareness by being able to audit and log and report on all the activities within the system that we built as a reference design. And our goal, you know, one of the big constructs here is to prevent unauthorized use of personal information. John, as we started our NCCOE hospitality project, you shared with me and my MITRE teammates a need to focus on the risks and costs associated with handling payment card information for hotels. Can you introduce us to at least one of those risks or more and, and the kind of costs that happens because of not mitigating those risks? The hotel industry is unique in that a credit card is used to guarantee your reservation. This is done so the hotel can bill the card if a room is not canceled according to the rules and the guest fails to show up. Also, most hotel rooms aren't sold by the hotel directly. They're sold through reservation systems, through online travel agencies, through a regular travel agent, essentially through a third party. And that reservation is then going to travel through another party, typically a global distribution system, and then maybe a channel manager, and then maybe a central reservation system, until eventually it lands in the property management system. Now you're storing this payment information for days, weeks, months, sometimes years at a time if it's tied to your loyalty record. Uh, it's going to be stored for a long period of time on that system. That makes that system very vulnerable. It's a, essentially a data vault for very, very sensitive data. So that puts you at a fairly high risk, and you need to take extra precautions at storing that data. Think about it. You're making that reservation for travel in July. Today, in March, for travel in July. They're going to hold on to that credit card for months. Uh, this is you as the traveler. This is the risk you're at. The risk the hotel company is at is all those credit cards are at risk if somebody hacks into that PMS. Arshad, you've worked on a few projects at the NCCOE, and, and you've brought your technology to bear in our, in our reference designs. We're, we're always looking to show that we can build something to meet today's standards and best practices, and you've helped us do that. For our hospitality project, we've leveraged your Tolaro appliance to supply tokenization and secure storage capabilities. How does a technology like Tolaro help make breaches irrelevant? One of the intuitions we had many years ago, Bill, was that we can't assume that the network is actually going to help prevent attackers from getting to your data. So we made the assumption that let's assume the attacker is on the network. How do you prevent such an attacker getting to your data? The defenses have to be good enough to withstand attacks even if your network is compromised. So going on that assumption, we started building technology to secure data first, making sure it got encrypted, tokenized, 
and that the decryption key is accessible only to authorized individuals. So you have to look at the entire supply chain of technology all the way from the points that you can control as a property management system down to the data that's stored and protected by different risk management solutions. If you begin with that assumption, it's possible to design a solution that can actually protect data even when your network is compromised, but it does require that the applications take advantage of the capabilities that we've designed into the Telaro. Um, as a NIST cybersecurity engineer working at a place that's trying to show you that applying cybersecurity is realizable, you know, that it is doable, we build these reference designs. We often couch the conversation about which kinds of risk we're mitigating using the NIST cybersecurity framework, which has the five functions of identify, detect, protect, respond, and recover as high-level things that an organization needs to think about for reducing cybersecurity risk. And it breaks itself down further by going into categories and then subcategories. And we, we tell people our reference design does mitigate of these 108 subcategories, you know, 14 to 27 of them. I mean, I'm, I'm giving you a rough, a rough estimate, but the idea is to draw attention to our work in a way that's meaningful for this community. In this build, we also recognize that the word zero trust and zero trust, the words zero trust and zero trust architecture are being sold to everybody around the country who has the need to add cybersecurity to protect the organization. And so we've borrowed from uh, a NIST publication, 800-207, zero trust tenants and zero trust component names in a way to kind of help try to standardize that space so that people who try to sell you zero trust and your ability to look at the technologies we built with and how we define them can help you kind of understand the space we're in. So that's a long-winded way of me asking, Arshad, when you thought of Talaro, were you thinking of hospitality? And, and then let's you know, connect that to how John has introduced us to a secure payments framework and how those two can relate. So Arshad, Talaro can be used in many different sectors. How are you feeling now about connecting with hospitality? Indeed, we can address hospitality risks, Bill. We looked at the problem from the perspective of PCI DSS compliant. The law was relatively new back uh, about 15 years ago. I mean, regulation, not a law. And looking at the requirements that were specified in PCI DSS 1.0, and having had many years of applied cryptography experience by then, we took advantage of our knowledge and looked at the requirements and started designing a solution from the ground up that was based in cryptographic hardware and then building a key management system which was rooted in hardware that could scale up to address protecting data of any kind not just credit card pans, but even social security numbers, bank account numbers, email addresses, anything that we declare PII, personally identifiable information, can be protected by the Talaro. But encryption tokenization is just one of probably a dozen different capabilities that the Talaro offers. Uh, but since that's one of the focuses of the property management system reference architecture, we'll stay focused on that. But once we have a credit card number encrypted and tokenized, we can also do things called card present transaction processing, which uses an ANSI standard for cryptographic processing of encrypted credit card numbers. 
That's a capability. Another capability is to leverage FIDO protocols, one of the strongest authentication protocols created in the last 30 years to eliminate passwords into web and mobile applications. Uh, that's just another one of the capabilities of the Telaro. That's fantastic. So, John, I teed up earlier in my introduction here that you've been in part of building a secure payment framework, and we use that as, I know we use that as a reference to, to think about what to build. We probably didn't go as far as, as you might want us to see. So tell us what's in that framework, maybe reflect on how far we went, but mostly reflect on why it's a, a push in this industry space to have a secure payment framework. So in, in 2012, when we started working on the framework, we also recognized that the hotel industry had become recognized as one of the least secure industries and was paying higher rates for processing payment cards as a result. The idea behind the framework was to cover both existing best practices and identify opportunities for things that would come in the future. We knew the PCI rules were in place. We wanted to make sure that they were all being followed. We also knew they were going to be changing for over a period of years. We're now through, I believe, version 3.2 of, of the uh, PCI. So our idea behind the framework was to not only cover the best practices, but identify opportunities for things that could come in the future, things that didn't exist yet that should exist to address the problem. Our vision was to keep payment information separate from the rest of the hotel business systems and business data. So one of the things that we envisioned was something we called a payment information proxy or PIP. We've all just learned to call it a PIP in short. And now we've got several companies uh, that have implemented this PIP type of solution. It sounds to me as if Arshad's solution would also fit into that PIP place. The idea is a credit card comes in not into a business system, which is what happens today, but it comes directly into the PIP. The PIP takes that credit card information, automatically tokenizes it, and stores it securely into what we call a token vault, uh, and then sends that token onto the business system. The business system treats it as if it were a regular credit card uh, and stores it and does it because we don't want to count on the 400 different implementations of a PMS out there to all have to change at the same time. So this way, they don't change. As far as they know, they got a credit card. When they want to process that credit card, again, they send it through the PIP. The PIP takes that token that they got from the business system, turns it back into a credit card, knowing that that message is going to go to a secure channel to a financial institution, and then sends that credit card with the rest of the information it needs in order to process the transaction. This keeps the credit cards out of the hotel business systems. So now if a hotel business system gets hacked, there's nothing to be stolen. One of the presentations I gave when we were early in this process is I said, why do people rob banks? Because that's where the money is. So why do people hack PMS systems? That's where the important data is. Uh, and the idea is keep that information out of the PMS so it doesn't matter if the PMS gets hacked from a PCI perspective because it has no valuable data. Outstanding. And, and one of the things I noted as I read through the secure payments framework is if a hotel needs to get PCI compliance, the less devices that get counted into that compliance process, the assessment, it makes it easier, right? And, 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 and if it's done well, you've, you've, you've reduced that risk because you don't have to say there's 17 devices that touch the payment card information. You can, you can use the tactics and the techniques described in your framework and that we built into our project as a means to, to reduce that PCI footprint in, within your organization. 
That's right. So uh, the whole time, idea yeah. behind the framework is we intercept that credit card data as it's coming into the system, and we turn it into token data and then store that credit card data securely in a secure system like the one that Arshad's talking about. Yeah, and importantly, the NIST, as a government agency, as a government agency that is non-regulatory in nature, it's entirely non-regulatory, you know, often our director at NIST calls us the, the nation's laboratory, and we're the nation's laboratory for lots of different technology and science and, and cool things that impact our nation's ability to have a strong economy. The need for, for me to become an expert in hospitality meant that we reach out to folks like John and others. And, and John's, you know, been part of a hospitality technology next generation. That's where that secure payments framework can be found. There's a, if you can, if you can remember HTNG and you can put down technical in a Google search, you'll see a whole list of things that they've built over the years to push for more security and you know, risk mitigation in the space. Arshad, as an expert who brings that technology and that key management and that tokenization and all the good things that you have, you know, as we got closer to finishing the, the documentation of our reference design, you and John met for the first time, I think. And, and so are you excited about the opportunities? I think you've already described this, but you know, keep going. Now that you've seen the secure payments framework, you've touched upon some of the things that you already can do. Affirm that a little more, please. Absolutely, Bill. <laughs> Although I don't want to make it seem like we are plugging our product, Bill. No, no. Let, yeah, and actually, that's a good point. That... So let me let me let me put a caveat on that. In our reference architecture, we use real technologies, and if we needed a tokenization appliance, we put out a data call in the Federal Registry at, from NIST to anybody with technologies, and Arshad's team was the first to reply, and we only needed one, so we built with it. If you do data tokenization, if you can build that. PIP system that John Bell was talking about, you can use our documentation to be a starting point to communicate with any, any of the customers you have to say, look, I can do what this thing does. So, so Arshad, yes, I appreciate that you're being sensitive to that you know, this isn't just about your product, but, but your passion for why you're doing this. And now that you've seen the secure payments framework, you know, let, let's hear that excitement that you know, anybody should be drawn into the space to support that PIP architecture. Yeah, and Thank I'd you like very to point much, out Bill. That I appreciate that. There are uh, payment processing companies, there are third-party companies, there, there are several companies out there today that have either PIP appliances or PIP services that they offer to the hospitality industry. Uh, I've personally worked with a couple of them. i have uh, uh, familiar with a couple of others, and uh, I, I can tell you I've built one out of an appliance at once in the past for a company that I was working for. They are out there today. And they're out there to anybody that wants to use those services. And uh, I like the appliance approach myself, uh, but there are some good solutions that are out there today. They didn't exist until we put this paper out in 2013, and people started recognizing, hey, this is a good idea. Let's go ahead and implement it. I completely agree with you, John. Uh, we don't claim that we invented anything new because, after all, encryption has been around for more than 30 years it's just that yeah. we took some of the building blocks that are out there in the industry, packaged them all together. The one other claim to fame that we have at StrongKey is everything that we have is open source licensed. So that is one clear advantage to industries that are under tremendous economic pressure to deliver profits to their investors as the technology starts getting more and more expensive. But here are some interesting things that I'm seeing in the industry that property management systems and the hospitality industry might want to keep into consideration, Bill and John. 
I mean, it used to be that we only had to worry about PCI DSS. Uh, clearly, it is the biggest whip uh, in the regulatory industry. But as a consumer myself, I am very sensitive to the fact that there are many people like me who are very concerned about our privacy. And as a result, as the Internet and sites proliferate, there is concern about where is our data going and how are we being tracked. And the surveillance economy is not healthy, in my personal opinion. And as a result, there are laws being passed all over the world around data privacy. California, as you know, is one of the first states that passed the California Consumer Privacy Act. But clearly, the, even California was not first. Uh, worldwide, the GDPR is one of the biggest data privacy laws that I have come across. And sooner or later, the United States, in my personal opinion, will have it. It should have it. And if that's the case, then it's not just credit card information that needs to be protected. In the California law, even your IP address is considered PII because it can be used to identify you uniquely on the Internet, and it has to be protected. And if you consider that you have to use best practices to protect that information, what do you use? Well, why not the same vault and the same scheme that protects credit cards? And that is exactly what we've done in the Telaro, which is we've generalized it so that it can protect pretty much anything, not just credit cards and social security numbers, but you can encapsulate all of the PII of a customer into XML, JSON, or whatever data structure and get it encrypted and tokenized in one single operation in milliseconds. That's one of the yes. capabilities. These. Yeah, we actually presented that concept to the hotel industry, oh, I, I think it was over six years ago. And I've worked very extensively working uh, with the hotel industry on GDPR. Uh, the biggest issue from a privacy standpoint really is if you tokenize the data in GDPR, that's actually addressed as anonymization of the data. If you anonymize the Correct. data... Uh, is the danger of de-anonymizing, knowing what you have to anonymize to separate identity information from the rest of the information that you're trying to work with in a way that you can't de-anonymize. An example I use a lot of times, it actually comes from an amusement park, which is still considered hospitality. But amusement park is collecting the information for all their guests entering the park on a daily basis. One of the pieces of information they collect is zip code. They have identity information, but they separate the identity information from the data that they want to use for analytics. The problem they discovered was they'd have people that there was only one person from that zip code arriving on a particular day. And all of a sudden, it was very easy to de-anonymize that person uh, because you only had the one person from the zip code. So what they ended up having to do was aggregate people until the group was large enough that you couldn't de-anonymize anybody in the group. So you removed data and aggregated the data in such a way that you couldn't uh, de-anonymize the people as they're doing. Europe is having a big issue with the de-anonymization right now because people in Europe, specifically because the amount of money you can get by catching somebody breaking the rules, are actively trying to figure out how to de-anonymize anonymize data. So just be aware of that. 
But yes, we also recognize that the same technologies used to protect your payment information can also be used to help you protect the privacy of your customers and guests. In the division that I sit at NIST, it's called the Applied Cybersecurity Division, we have a, a privacy engineering team, and they put out last spring a privacy framework. And that privacy framework is designed to help protect you, the individual, you, the customer's privacy. And, and so it, it aligns nicely with the goals of a GDPR and the California laws. And that some states, I think I just read in the last two weeks, more states are starting to approve privacy regulations. So it is a, a space ripe with growth in thinking and putting in those best practices and recognizing all those little challenges, right? It's, it's not a skill set that everybody has. Arshad, you mentioned that uh, your, your stuff is open source in, in the ability to get to it. When you built with us in another project on multi-factor authentication for e-commerce, that was in the in the retail sector, e-commerce clearly. Multi-factor authentication, we basically did a, an initial FIDO arrangement with authentication when there was extended risk in a transaction. And anyway, the glue code that you built for us to be able to to use your technology is not just glue code in the sense that you put it up in a, in a public repository where students could actually rebuild it and play with it in a classroom. And so that's a, a little angle of is it, you know focusing on the three of us can think about clever things, but how do we get the next generation to be able to think about all these clever things when you're being pushed for privacy, cybersecurity risk mitigation, encryption, authentication, identity, access management. All these things have different pushes and pulls on each other. It's not, a, it's not an easy straight line through them to make them all work. Um, reflect either Arshad first and then John just sort of on that. How do we get people to be the experts we need them to be for this space? I mean, there's no substitute for hitting the books and learning the technology from the ground up, Bill. Uh, that's about the best advice I can give because technology is always going to change. Uh, but the foundations of cybersecurity, data protection, they are basically going to remain the same. You have to understand the risk of what you're trying to do and what are you trying to protect and then start focusing from the root of the risk and protecting that resource. 30 years ago, I remember a little more than 30 years ago when the Internet was commercialized, one of the magical technologies that showed up was the firewall. But in retrospect, I think that may have been one of the worst things that could have happened to the application development industry because once they realized that you could block unauthorized entities from entering your network, people didn't pay any attention to strengthening applications and data protection. And what we are witnessing today is a consequence of those strategies from 30 years ago. There used yeah. to be a project I remember called the Jericho Project, a uh, great concept which is essentially build your systems and applications to operate without a firewall. And this implied that you had to focus on where were the risks and what were you trying to protect. And if you focused on risk mitigations on those things and you design them well, then you don't need a firewall. Yeah, you can have all the attackers running around your network, but without the correct technology authorization, you couldn't get to it. The analogy I keep using is the kind of mission the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration has in the U.S. 
The NHTSA is responsible for safety of millions of drivers on the U.S. national highway system. What they will not say is that they are going to protect the highway network. It's impossible. Despite everything they do, more than 40,000 people die on U.S. highway networks every single year. But the focus of the NHTSA is in protecting the payload, the passenger. Every well, single regulation and rule they publish is to protect the passenger. That's the same well, principle we ought to apply in data security. And I think, I think we're starting to hear that in the zero trust language. And the hard part there is that it, it, there's a lot to do. And, and one of the things I heard you say is high value assets and, and understanding. I'm, I'm adding more words, but if you don't know what you need to protect in the first place, it, it's sort of hard to do this stuff. But if you can do that, now there are companies who are able to sell you technologies that can help you swim with the sharks, meaning they can stop the connections that aren't supposed to happen, allow the right ones to happen for the right people at the right time, and then even do cool things like double check to make sure that the shark didn't chew on the on the side of the device you're connecting to in a way that damages it for the next connection. So it, I'm, I'm oversimplifying and using other metaphors, but yeah, I, I hear we're, we often come back to things that we thought of a long time ago, and maybe it's more practical with the technologies we have today. Um, John, you can reflect on the angles of zero trust. You've done some work as a professor, you know, teaching this stuff. How are, how are your clients reacting and to get people to be able to do the things we just described needing to do? Over. First, let me point out, almost 100% of the HTG documents are available for free to download uh, from their website, even if you're not an HTG member. Occasionally, we'll publish a document that has a six-month members-only access, but normally it becomes open after the six months. From the, the firewall perspective, I have a strong belief that when you're architecting a system, you architect security separately from the application. The reason why is because security changes at a different rate than the application needs change. And you can get better security by doing that than by integrating the security tightly into the application. Firewall, I think, is a great example of that. The reason why is because every application would need to have that functionality. So why repeat that functionality in every application rather than making it a core part of the operating system where you can control what has access to the services that are exposed by uh, application and what does not have access to that? I'm actually a very big believer in keeping all the ports closed on a firewall except those that you explicitly need and then limiting the scope of systems that can access those services to certain regions within your network infrastructure. If you have to expose it to the Internet, I also strongly believe in architected networks that separate the DMZ from the internal network and from the, the Internet so that you don't have to worry about the Internet coming into your internal network. Uh, now you'd asked me a, another question, and somehow or another I got lost in the, the conversation. No, no worries. I, I kind of ran us through a couple different cul-de-sacs to try into. So education and wor workforce you know, development for this industry space. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so yeah. That's, that's actually a big issue in hospitality. Uh, a lot of industries that I've worked in, you know, the Pentagon, the automotive industry, and so on, they're very technically oriented. And so this isn't normally an issue. But hospitality is not a technically oriented business. They have a lot of dependency on technology, but you can't walk up to a general person at the front desk of a hotel, for example, and say, by the way, is your firewall secure today? They'll say, well, 
there's a wall between the two buildings, so if one building catches on fire, the whole building doesn't go up, but they don't understand the IT concepts. It's a challenge for them, and this goes all the way up to senior management in a hotel. Many hotel chains may only have 50 or 60 people or smaller, depending on the size of the chain, in their IT department. So now we're saying, hey, go in and we want you to make sure that you've got a competent network manager that's organizing your networks, that's protecting your systems and and doing all this. They don't have the personnel in the company that even understands what you're talking about. Or they don't have enough personnel to cover the size of their organization. This is a big problem. And it's not just hotels. Everybody in the travel industry, everybody in the insurance industry, I argue that a lot of people in the finance industry uh, do not have this technical expertise because it's not part of their thought process. So one of the things I've tried to do is I've tried to hold seminars. I I actually did a, a presentation to the hotel industry on, hey, this is what a firewall is. This is how it works in general, just in in general layman terms. This is how it works. Did you know that every computer you have in your company has one? Now, did you know that most of them have them turned off? And just explain, hey, you've got the tools. You just need to learn how to use them. And this is a common problem I see, you know, all over the place. Again, not just in hospitality, but in many other industries as well. They don't understand the tools that they have. Uh, and I think that's part of our responsibility as IT people to explain to the rest of the world in simple ways that they can understand what the solutions are. How do you create a easy-to-remember secure password? I have dozens of articles I've published mm-hmm. on that. Cool, cool. Let, let's hold off on that for just a second. I'm going to go in a little further than that. Uh, let me let me do some shameless plugging of my own. The, the NIST special publication, 1827, that we're talking about today, Securing Property Management System, where John helped give us good ideas and the foundation on which to, to aim to mitigate risk and, and keep payment card information out of the property management system. Um, and Arshad brought his technology to, to let us build something that worked. It is built, and, and as we recorded today, the document's nearly final, which means we're putting the final touches on editing. It'll be posted to our nccoe.nist.gov website, and we'll have some public announcements, and, and we'll be leveraging this podcast to get people's attention to it. It includes three volumes. Volume A is very high level. What, what, why do we do this? What problems does it solve? And we believe you can share that with anybody, and they'll kind of go, I get that. You know, there's, it's tricky sometimes with the technology words, but for the most part, that's our goal, is to really simply state, this is why we did it. Then we have a volume B. We spend time in there describing the risk that we can mitigate, the threats and the vulnerabilities that are, you know, potentially present that we needed to mitigate, and then describing, you know, the ingredients on which we built, and then describing why we like those ingredients and how they will function. And we do some use case examination with that to to prove to you, the reader, that we went through and and more security can happen because the processes and flow diagrams show how we measured, looked through, and made sure those, those, those things, those functions all occurred. And then finally, volume C, this very verbose, and I'm being verbose right now, but very verbose way of saying, with these technology providers, including StrongKey, including others, TDI and Remediant, and, and a, a, a long list of different players, um, Heffel Doorlocks and, and others came and joined us. We, and I should probably make sure I say them all so don't get anybody mad at me later, um, we show you exactly how we configured those devices so that you could copy it if you want to, and and it's possible to see you know that it's, that it's there. So, so I looked to 
view it as being something now that John can walk out into public and say, not only have I been saying this, but NIST is saying that you know, it matters to mitigate risk in this industry. It matters to think about privacy. And then Arshad can leverage, look what I did, and, and I can do more for you. Um, I'm going to stop there, let you guys kind of finish up with you know big closing remarks, if you got any left, and then I'll come back with naming all my vendors in the product, uh, in, the, in the paper we built, and uh, we'll close out. So, John, why don't you go first? There are a lot of tools that are out there, and it's not just protecting PCI, protecting your, your payment card information. It's protecting your customer information. It's protecting your business information. I can tell you with some of the hacks that I've seen in the last few years, there are a lot of people trying to get at these companies and trying to get not just things that you think are valuable, but things that you don't even think about that somebody's trying to steal, such as what's the next hotel that you're trying to bring into your, your business portfolio? Uh, and where countries are actually going and trying to answer those questions because they see a strategic advantage for the nation to help determine who you buy and who you don't buy. Uh, and it's these kinds of things that become a concern. It's ransomware. Shut your business down unless you pay a ransom. These types of things are now becoming very, very dangerous things for the businesses and companies that I support, that the people in this call support. Uh, and they're things you need to be aware of, uh, even if security and IT and and those things are not part of your central day-to-day function. You need to be aware of them and the risks that they pose to you and to your organization. Cool. Narshad, I'm going I'm to name our other collaborators, but, and then you can go, please. Um, for network protection, we have an appliance that provides additional layers of protection against cyber attacks, Kryptonite NXT. And one cool thing about that company is that I know the foundations of funding that they got from the Department of Homeland Security, Science and Technology. So there's uh, government research that becomes a real product is a really nice win uh, for our nation. And so it's nice to see that. Forescout brought some visualization for the devices that are connecting and enforcing policy controls. I talked about Heffel door locks. Remediant brought real-time incident monitoring and privilege escalation and reporting. And then StrongKey, that's you, Arshad. That's the payment solution appliance that we built to secure the credit card transactions and shrink the PCI compliance enclave in, in the reference design. And then TDI Technologies brought us an access control platform that secures the connections and controls the mechanisms for authorized users and devices. That's what we built. Arshad, finish this out, please. Hmm. Thank you, sir. So while there are many things that property management systems should be doing from a regulatory point of view, there is one thing that is not regulated, which is how you authenticate people. I mean, there are regulations in some segments of the industry, but in my personal opinion, they're not strong enough. Some of the largest breaches that I've seen just in the last three months have been related to passwords. If there's one thing you can do to minimize risk, it is eliminating the password completely. If there is no secret that can be compromised on a PMS, then there is no vector for compromising the PMS. And one of the greatest technologies that's been created over the last 30 years by industry standards is the FIDO protocol. And this is a shameless plug, but it is open source. It's royalty-free. There are hundreds of implementations. The NCCOE itself has used FIDO in at least three reference architectures uh, for solutions. 
And I would encourage everybody in the property management industry to look at this very seriously to eliminate passwords as a customer. I'm used to traveling all over the world for the last 25 years, and I would love to see property management systems and the entire hospitality industry move away from passwords to make the experience more delightful and probably the most secure. Not my words, but NIST's words. There is a special publication, 800-63 Digital Identity Guidelines. They gave the FIDO protocol as having the highest authentication assurance in their guidelines. So, while there are no re regulations around what kind of authentication technology should be used in PMS, I would encourage everybody to begin there and do all the other things that John and NIST are recommending. They're all good things, but definitely you want to begin with protecting your customers as they enter your cyber door. Thank you, Arshad. So it's been my pleasure to be the, the moderator of, of both you and John today and appreciate the expertise you bring. If you heard something during this podcast as a listener and you, you think, wow, if NIST could build a reference architecture and show the world uh, you know, one way to do it and in a space that helps you get that security enabled uh, and mitigate risk, it's something we want to hear about. You know, we've, we've, a lot of ideas popped up, and there are parts of all of this in many of our reference designs, especially this one on securing the property management system. Um, there's disruptive technologies all around us in the sense that anything that's innovative is that, and we need to potentially come back and, and rebuild things to show, again, how to do some of this stuff. And so we, we, we want to be on that journey with you. NIST doesn't do this in a vacuum, and that's why uh, John Bell is with us, and that's why Arshad Nor is with us. Thank you both for being with us today, and, and thanks uh, to our listeners for taking the time to be with us as well. Yeah, thank you, John, Bill, and Ashard. So great job moderating that amazing conversation. Listeners, thank you all for tuning in. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC, and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year-round. Also, subscribe to the RSAC podcast on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app, and stay tuned for our next podcast. Interested in being a guest on our podcast? visit rsaconference.com to learn how to become a contributor.